0: Welcome everybody, this is going to be a somewhat short, more of a public message than a podcast because right now there is massive fear of the coronavirus. I see it going all, like all kinds of news feeds and the, the question is how worried should we really be? Should you really be? Now, I have to admit I'm lucky to be in Europe right now and not because there's no outbreak of the coronavirus here in Europe as a matter of fact Italy has one of the highest I think they're the country with the maybe third or fourth highest number of infections uh yeah third country so it's here and it has spread a little bit to surrounding countries. There have been a few cases in Greece. There's been a case in Croatia. Um, and I think there's, there's been a few more cases around the area. Austria, there's been a few cases. And the, the reason I'm lucky, and, and I am actually have a higher exposure risk here than I would in the United States. But yet, I feel that I'm far luckier to be here, and that's because the, the there's no craziness right now, and there's no panic right now associated with this coronavirus outbreak. And it, it's always interesting to me to see the two different news cycles, because I do keep up with U.S. news very regularly especially with the state of things in the yeah I feel like the United States is uh, quite the cauldron of news right now spe- especially sensational news and things being amplified beyond necessitation And the coronavirus I think is one of those examples because in Europe the news cycles in general are very different especially here in Serbia And believe me, if there's one thing I've learned about Serbs, in general, they are germaphobes. So it's interesting to be in a country of germaphobes, and I don't mean that in a bad way. They just, they literally are, they're germaphobes. So it's interesting to be in a country of germaphobes, and yet they have absolutely no concern whatsoever over the coronavirus. And what really kind of drove this home for me is my latest trip to Greece when I went to Athens earlier this month. Uh, There were two people and i heard them talking i recognized the accent was either an american accent or possibly canadian i it sounded very american to me and the entire in the entire plane these were the only two individuals wearing the medical mask to try to avoid risk of infection of the coronavirus so it and I, and I knew the news cycles were were heating up at this time because this was after this was right around Valentine's Day, and China had just re, reassessed the number of patients that they had that they were classifying as coronavirus victims, and it jumped from forty thousand to almost seventy thousand overnight. Now, of course, the media jumped on this and said there was an explosion of cases of the coronavirus in China. It was far more virulent than they'd expected. There was this massive growth. Well, that's not what happened. What happened was their ability to assess who had the coronavirus wasn't working out. Their test kits were unreliable. Uh, they had a lot of people coming in with different symptoms. They couldn't test them. They couldn't get accurate readings on whether they had the coronavirus or not. So what they did was they changed their criteria for assessing which patients that came in would be classified as having the coronavirus. This wasn't done by testing. They didn't te- They didn't all of a sudden test another 40,000 people and find out, oh my gosh, we've had double the infection rate all of a sudden. They just changed the criteria. They had four criteria. It was like fever, coughing, shortness of breath. Um and some achiness that this was, they had a panoply of criteria and they ratcheted it back to fever and coughing. So basically anybody that would have come in with a cold or the flu or the coronavirus all would have been classified as having the coronavirus. And so instantly there was this huge jump in the number of reported cases and it was not a real Indicator of infection. It was simply a change in reporting by the Chinese government, and and there's no there's a lot of possibility here that China. It's really hard to say how good the statistics coming out of China are. Um, Part of their communist ideology is to not present a poor face to the world. And part of that is, you know, looking at infection and how they're managing it and things like that within their borders. They're supposed to be an idealized society, so having an outbreak and, and multiple outbreaks. Remember SARS from a few years ago? Uh, that was again started in China, and, and and this is a bit of a national embarrassment for the country. So it's really hard to assess their statistics, but I, I would say. Probably there are legitimately 80,000 people, say, in the Hubei province of China, which is where this is started and localized currently. And th- that's probably a fair number, because there's probably a lot more people who are infected with the coronavirus than they know about. And that's because the coronavirus actually isn't that bad. There's a lot of statistics are floating around, and this, this is why I wanted to do this special podcast To help you understand what's being said and what's not being said. Because what's not being said is not too spectacular at all. And that's why they're not saying it. So for example, if you want to protect yourself against the coronavirus, the best thing you can do is be younger than 65 years of age and female. Your mortality risk, so your risk of getting the coronavirus and dying from it is less than 0.1%. You, you have almost no risk whatsoever. And if you're just younger than 65 years of age, you basically, the risk of dying from coronavirus is less than your risk of dying from the flu. You, you probably don't realize it. It's probably been lost in the news cycle. Over 10,000 Americans have died just this year so far from the flu. Now how many Americans have died from the coronavirus? Zero. How many have been infected? I, I think maybe like 60. So even your risk of contracting the coronavirus and the if you're in the United States is infinitesimally low and when you multiply that by your risk of actually dying or being hospitalized it's almost non-existent. Basically if you caught the coronavirus and you're you're healthy and younger than 65, odds are you probably think you had a bad cold or the flu. You wouldn't even think to go to the hospital. And that's why I'm guessing that there's probably a lot more cases of the coronavirus out there than are being reported because a lot of people just don't go to the doctor for the cold or the flu. It just doesn't happen. And that, that could be the uptick in case reporting in China is In the Hubei province now, people are scared, and so any little malady, they're going in, and the classification has changed so that every little malady is being classified as the coronavirus. Um, So, this is one of those things that the media is turning into a shitstorm, and it's incredibly irresponsible. And part of that irresponsibility is... I mean, let's just admit it. I don't care who the commentator is. I don't care how much you like them or enjoy them. Usually when it comes to numbers and statistics, they are not the sharpest pencils in the box. They do not understand what the numbers that they're spewing out even mean. Now, the, the reason you'll hear this, there's a 2% mortality rate for the coronavirus is because the, the majority of people actually dying are over 65 and their risk of dying is greater than 10 percent and they have a high infection rate at the moment in China so when you skew all those statistics you get a two percent mortality risk but if you're less than 65 years old your mortality risk is less than it is for the flu so you tell me should you be worried uh, I mean, I don't think so. I'm not worried, and I am in an area that has a higher risk of exposure. I was in Greece, where there were several cases. I again, and there were many Chinese tourists there. A lot of countries are not having Chinese tourists. The to, basically, China has stopped a lot of flights out of the country, which has demolished. Chinese tourism across Europe I've seen it here especially in Serbia but I also saw in Greece there's not as many but they're there so I I had a problem and they came directly from mainland China so during the corona outbreak coronavirus outbreak so I had a higher risk exposure than probably the vast majority of people in the United States right now and I didn't worry about it like I did not care And I would never put on a medical mask. By the way, those don't really. It's dubious at best that those help you from contracting airborne viruses or viruses that are carried on uh, basically spittle that comes out from sneezing and things like that. It's it's dubious at best that they help. Those are really used by people who are sick. Are trying to prevent other people from getting sick. They're not going to prevent you from getting sick. So you can wear the medical mask all you like. It's unlikely that it offers you any protection whatsoever from anything the flu, the coronavirus, whatever. So this really isn't something to be scared of. And these statistics are going to change. It's interesting. So the statistics coming out of China have about 2% mortality rate on average. Again, that is all heavy loaded towards the older population. But on average, it's 2%. And, if you, and this seems to be somewhat consistent across Asi- Asiatic countries that have outbreaks at the moment. Now, when you look at the statistic breakdown, though, and this, this has nothing to do with race whatsoever, I'm not saying that, but in countries that are European or African Uh, westward, so Western Europe, Africa, United States, South America, those areas are at the moment a much, much lower mortality rate. So you have even a smaller potential mortality rate in these other populations. And there could be all kinds of reasons for that. There could be nutritional reasons, there could be epigenetic reasons, there could be genetic reasons. Uh, You know, the coronavirus, coronaviruses usually jump from animals to humans and to do that, they need, the humans need to be exposed to them over and over again, and they will be most devastating in the original population that it jumped to. So again, your risk, if you're in the United States or Western Europe or Eastern Europe, your risk or African nations or South America, your risk is incredibly low. And in, in the Middle East, your mortality risk is very low, although Iran is having a pretty substantial breakout as well. Uh, I, I'm not sure why there could have been some sort of, uh, again, some sort of transmission through tourism or state visits or what have you. And, and in Iran, it could be somewhat devastating because of the embargoes placed on them. They may not be able to get medical care, to, the appropriate medical care to their people, uh, which is highly unfortunate, and hopefully there are some humanitarian efforts uh that are working to to bridge any of those potential gaps in that situation and so you know you can hear all the numbers you want you you have to understand what those numbers mean, and that's really the problem with the media, especially the mainstream i I usually don't knock the mainstream media. Um, I am very disenchanted with them because they have created news cycles to try to compete with the internet. And that means they've got to capture eyeballs and they'll do it at any cost. And th- they've done that for a long time, but it's become intensified because of competition with the internet and getting that, getting a piece of ad revenue and so on and so forth. And there's, there's a lot of other news channels right now. So there's a lot of competition and they've really gone down this road of sensationalism and the impeachment's over, all of that excitement and hype is gone. The next big thing and the thing that always gets people to tune in is terror of some impending disaster and right now it's the coronavirus. Like I said, mind you, the flu in the United States as of today has killed 10,000 Americans and that's just in the United States. The worldwide statistic is much higher. So why are we freaking out over this coronavirus? Especially if you're under 65 and you become infected, you probably won't even know you have the coronavirus. You'll probably think that you have a bad cold or the flu. You just won't even know. Now, unfortunately, this this heightened sense that the media has created, they've turned it into what seems like a national emergency. So it puts politicians in a very bad spot, and we saw that in their congressional hearing. The new interim head of um, the U.S. Health Department, he was being asked about the flu and flu risk, and he really, he clearly didn't know what he was talking about. But the Congress, I think it was Congressman Kennedy. Was making a big deal about the coronavirus. Its mortality risk is two percent, and the flu's mortality risk, which he had wrong, is is about point 0.1% on average. And you know, this is like it was a it's a huge deal. It was off by a factor of a hundred or a thousand, and blah blah blah. But that that's not the truth of the statistics. And of course, Congress would be scared. I mean, think about it. Congress is made up of septuagenarians. I mean. How many congressmen are 70 years or older, or congresswomen? How many congress people are 70 years or older? Quite a few. If the coronavirus hit Congress, there would be no Congress. It would be gone. Uh, so I guess they can be fearful. They are, they're not, the Congress isn't even actually in the 2% statistic. They're in the 10% statistic. So it's even worse for them. Um, but I, I think the response of not overreacting is the right one. Uh, these are initial reports of infections, which we don't have any reliability on, and and even the kits in the United States are turning out to be highly unreliable, so we don't even know there are people being tested who might have the coronavirus and who are leaving told they don't have the coronavirus, and, and the fact of the matter is it won't make any difference. They are going to get better. They will be fine. Uh, and... So w- without any reliability of what's going on, my guess is what we'll see is as we can go back and analyze the data in a post hoc fashion after all this is over, we'll probably find a very small mortality risk for people 65 and younger, and we'll probably see that mortality risk drop even in older populations. Now, I say this because it's not spreading that rapidly in... I. I it, well it's hard to say how rapidly it is spreading that's the first thing uh second of all this is something very familiar and i don't know how many people remind will remember this there should be quite a few of you actually but there was the 2009 swine flu pandemic scare and it was a huge scare. Initially it had massive mortality risk. We're talking 10% on average. So this was much, much higher initially. And it spread like crazy. It's estimated that one out of five people in the world. So 20% of the world was infected with the swine flu when it was all said and done. And those initial mortality risk Uh, percentages were damn scary. So before there was even an emergency, the media had turned it into this frenzy of fear and panic. And oh my gosh, we're about to see a plague equivalent to the flu plague in the early 1900s that wiped out millions and millions of people. I mean, it was terrifying. And I remember almost succumbing to it at first because I knew about the flu epidemic, the flu pandemic in the early 1900s that did wipe out millions of people. and But I, I didn't worry too much, especially when the first cases started to hit the United States, and it turned out to just be the flu. So, but the media caused such a frenzy that President Obama actually declared a state of emer- a national emergency for the swine flu. What happened was they tried to produce a vaccine, they tried to speed up production, and they released some dosages, very limited. And then what happened in the the areas that had the vaccine, the panic was so great, some people actually got trampled to death, fighting their way to get one of these limited dosages of swine flu vaccine. And this panic was completely created by the public, and the politicians, President Obama in this situation, was put in a situation where he had to look like he was, well, he had to make it clear that he had the public's interest at paramount, and the media had caused a situation where the public was demanding something be done. And so he did what, for whatever reason, his advisors or his decision, he declared a national emergency to allow hospitals to isolate victims of the swine flus to, to avoid. It allows hospitals to do a lot more things and it can allow funds to be shifted towards vaccine production and vaccine distribution, all this kind of stuff. And people were terrified and people got trampled to death. Well, when it was all said and done and we looked back at, you know, 20% of the world population was infected and we looked at the, the true mortality risk of the swine flu It was 0.02%. Mind you, the regular flu every year on average is 0.15%. So the regular flu is 10 times more deadly than the swine flu was. And yet for the swine flu, a national emergency was declared and people were trampled to death. And there were several people who were in a state of panic when they shouldn't have been. And mind you, let me remind you, 10,000 people have already died this year from the regular flu, from this current strain that is moving across the United States. 10,000 people have died. Now, your, any fears over the flu and flu vaccine are a totally different conversation. Um, on average, whether whether the they get the right strains in the flu vaccine or not the average number of deaths or the mortality risk is always 0.15% like it doesn't matter uh, a good example is i think it's the 2011 2012 flu season they got all they missed all the strains the flu vaccine that they were selling to people was completely junk. It was garbage. That was the, that year we had the lowest number of flu infections ever. The, the, well, not ever, but in the last, in the last 10 years, it it was the lowest infection rate of the flu and the vaccine they were giving to people were use was useless. And then I think it was, I can't remember. Um, it wasn't long after that. Maybe it was the 2014 year we had they had the vaccine right and we had one of the highest infection rates of the flu in the united states and 53,000 people died which it was a higher infection rate and the percentage the mortality percentage was 0.15% that's what it has been every year for decades and there's been no difference from when we started using the vaccine to when we didn't and There's been this media push with those vaccines as well, saying, well, the anti-vax movement has destroyed flu vaccinations in the United States. Actually, the the 2018 to 2019 season had the highest number of inoculations ever, the highest percentage, not just number, highest percentage of flu vaccines given in the United States ever, and it's one of the worst flu seasons we've ever had so it has it's not an anti-vaxxer movement uh the reason we had such a bad flu season last year um it's just the nature of the flu and the vaccine seems to be historically if you look at the historical data it's really hard to make an argument that it does anything so take that as you will if you want to get a flu flu vaccine or not um, it's really the historical data that we have. The mortality risk is always the same. The number of infections per year varies, but it it seems it varies completely independently of the amount of vaccination, the percentage of vaccination that year, and it also does not vary in accordance with if they got the right viral strain or if they didn't. And the two just don't match up. I mean, there, there's really no way to gauge if it's effective at all. It, it's really hard to say. So, I mean, my position, I never got the flu vaccine. I will never get a flu vaccine. And uh, the, the, so far, the evidence is not backing up that it does much of anything. Now, if you have a compromised immune system, then possibly there there's an argument for doing it. But if you're a healthy individual, again, under 70 years of age, it makes no sense to get the flu vaccine. Um, and and as a, a case in point, in the 2008-2009 financial crisis, um, when a lot of businesses were, were in the red and losing money, uh, one business, Walgreens, actually was in the black that year. And it was because of increased... Flu vaccination sales. Flu vaccines are a huge, huge moneymaker. So I I, kind of have mixed feelings on how much they're trumping up the necessity of the flu vaccine versus the potential profit that is available there. Um, And and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I mean, just every company tries to optimize profits, and that's what they do. And as the public, we need to keep them in check for when they do do something that is either immoral or nefarious. And I think in this situation, it's just um, immoral, to be honest. But let's get back to the coronavirus. Short 30-minute podcast. Do not, I would not be scared of the coronavirus. I have a, it's just its beginning numbers are nothing to even be scared of. I mean, SARS was much, much worse. Uh, It really did have a mortality rate of 10%. I mean, people were dying from SARS, and we never saw the global pandemic that everybody said was coming. And the coronavirus numbers are so minuscule right now. I mean, again, if you're under 65 and you're not in an Asian nation, your risk of dying is almost non-existent. Your risk of exposure is incredibly low throughout most of the Western world. And on top of it, you might even get it. And you just won't know. That's the thing. You'll probably just think you have a cold or the flu. Um, So again, I wouldn't be too concerned. There's a cautionary tale that related to with the swine flu and how the panic caused by the media and this is totally media driven and it's unfortunate and i don't know how or why but at some point the media has to start taking some culpability for these things um, because they do force politicians they create a public frenzy that's unwarranted and then politicians are then forced to act in a way that could be against the public good That that's the one good thing at the moment with the current presidential administration is they're very slow to act in crises, and I think part of that is they they worry about other things that may be affected. And right now, it's the stock market dropping, which does have actually quite a bit of relation to the coronavirus, and not just the fear of infection. the The Hubei province in China is one of the main manufacturing hubs. In China, which means lots and lots and lots of companies are going to be are going to be unable to get their materials to then sell, which means their profits are going to be down. And, and this is just a really simple calculation. So people are dumping those stocks, and that's why we're seeing such large changes in the Dow industrial average right now we're seeing stocks plummet and that's why it, it, it just makes sense that province has been isolated China is not letting anything or anyone in or out and that is going to hurt the bottom line of a lot of businesses so if you are an investor then the smart move would be to dump any company that has manufacturing in the Hubei province in China and maybe in China period uh and and so unfortunately the president the current administration is trying to well actually it's a good thing they're trying to downplay the coronavirus so that the economy so that the stock market will recover and in this instance that's probably the right thing to do the coronavirus is just not something to be worried about right now That could change, but I doubt it. All the numbers that we have amassed so far show that it's just, it's nothing, it's not, it's not even worth talking about, to be honest. It really isn't worth talking about. It should have been a conversation for one news cycle. There's this horrible outbreak. It's killing older Chinese people who get infected, uh, which is horrible, but they've isolated the province and they're taking care of it. And, and, and that really, that should have been the end of it. Uh, but unfortunately that's not how the media works. And because the president and the current administration is downplaying the risk of the coronavirus in respect to what the media is saying, the media is doubling down on how dangerous the coronavirus probably is. And that the current administration is incompetent for not doing something, um, and I'm not getting political in this, I have no, no affinity whatsoever for the current administration, but I rarely ever have an affinity for any political face these days. Um, so, but he, the current administration is doing the right thing for the wrong reason. And, Hopefully it doesn't become another situation where a national emergency is called when it shouldn't be beforehand and people are panicked and trampled to death because I cannot imagine, actually, I mean, that's got to be a terrible way to die, to fall down during a mad rush of people and just be stomped to death repeatedly. And that's, you know, the previous administration, President Obama, did enact the national emergency and put all those wheel and put those wheels into motion that caused that. But it was the media ultimately that made that happen. And they're trying to do it again just because they've got really nothing else on the news cycle. And unfortunately the more the current administration push pushes back, the more the media is going to make it sound like it's a worldwide crisis. And I can tell you absolutely at this moment, it is not a worldwide crisis it does not appear to be shipping up to be a worldwide crisis. And to be honest, it's something that you probably shouldn't even think about again, unless there's some massive new revelation. Um, but I, I can pretty much guarantee there won't be. Uh, we've had plenty of experiences now with these type of coronaviruses jumping from animals to human populations. They're very well controlled, and they usually don't really seem to have much of an impact so far. And this one is way, way, way more benign than anything that's come before it so far. Uh, even the Middle Eastern uh, equivalent of SARS w- was was not this devastating. So, all right, I hope this helps everybody. I'm going to wrap this up. Um, and again... Uh, You know, I think there just needs to be a completely separate media organization that reports on anything health disease related who actually has some sort of intelligence when it comes to numbers and percentages and what they mean and how they break down and how the body works and what are the real risks. And that does not exist right now, Um, especially in the mainstream media. It's almost embarrassing. Uh, But I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, Hopefully that puts everybody's mind at ease. Relax, get rid of the surgical masks, please, as an American traveling abroad, it is embarrassing when I have to see other Americans wearing the medical mask, and Europeans look on like what is wrong with them Uh-oh. and unfortunately what's what's wrong is the media it's not the individuals the the individual in Americans have been led to believe that this is a terrible, horrible world-altering crisis when it's just not. So um, I hope everybody sleeps better tonight and can breathe a breath of fresh air tomorrow without their medical mask and without fear of dying from some mysterious coronavirus that you probably won't ever experience. And if you do, you probably won't even know it's the coronavirus.